Yo, what is going on, everyone? What is cooking? This is scriptwriter Steve. You reach my podcast, Barbecue to Movies. Today is November 11th, 2021. That's 11-11, Thursday. Guess what? Today is Veterans Day. If you know a veteran, thank them for their service. Thank them for their valor. All right, it is 3.40 a.m. in the morning. It's really, really late. I'm kind of up, though. I'm really up. I went to sleep a little early because I didn't have much sleep the day before. And here I am, up late, wide awake. <laughs> I have jet lag. But what am I doing up late? Fixing photos. It never ends. It's a never-ending journey. It's like the never-ending story. All right. So, today, while I was... Uh, fixing up the photos and doing my work, answering inquiries during the day. I have on the television the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial. And I didn't get to watch the entire thing. In fact, I didn't even know. You know, I'm not really much of a trial person. I'm not one who's like glued to the TV. I think they're kind of boring. But I wanted to see what was going on. In fact, well, it was just playing on OAN. It just happened to be. And it wasn't as though I was trying to search out for this trial. Um, but when I tuned in, I guess all of the electric fireworks that uh, the sparring that went on between the the um, the judge and the prosecutor had already ended, and I found Rittenhouse testifying to my very much very big surprise. Um, I guess uh, I guess um, he was defending himself, uh, and he did so very 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 good. He was really really good on stand. Um, I know this guy's a young kid; he's only eighteen years old. But boy, um, he handled himself really, really, really well. And I'm not saying that from a biased point of view. You know, I'm not that type of person. You know, I will call a spade a spade, right? You know the way it is, right? Um, but, you know, this prosecutor, I swear, this prosecutor needs to go to jail because he's, he's taking, he's trying to convict uh, Kyle Rittenhouse on, on rhetoric, like, like very rhetorical, uh, I guess rhetorical arguments, uh, you know, logic that should just be employed in the fictional world, the screenwriting world, not in real life. Because if we were to apply logic in real life, well, even though it's a logical argument and a very valid logical argument, it's not a just argument. It is not morally correct. It is not even accurate at all. Just because someone makes a logical argument does not mean it is actually factually correct. All right, there, there's there's a difference. People think if someone is being logical, then it must be correct. That's never the case. And, and I'll, I'll throw out a few examples here. All right, um, we'll just use the regular um, modus ponens type of theorem of logic, or modus ponens or modus talents. This is very very common. So, for example, uh, if a woman was telling me, uh, Steve. All men are pigs. So they go with that theorem. Steve, you are a man, therefore you are a pig. Now, this is purely you know, a correct logical statement. Is it true? I'm not a pig. But this is how you know, prejudices are formed. This is how absurd statements are formed. This is how, this is how it, um, logical inaccuracies, inaccuracies are formed. So, for example, we, you know, even the theory of global warming is created through these modus ponens and modus tollens type of arguments rather than actual science. You know, um, I mean, for example, they'll, they'll, say, they'll come on and say CO2 causes global warming. Well, therefore, you're breathing out CO2, therefore you're causing global warming. 
you can't prove that in science. You really can't. But then they use this type of thing. Your car, CO2 causes global warming. Your car emits CO2. Therefore, your car is causing global warming. But there's actually no, there's actually no scientific evidence that your car is actually causing global warming at all. None whatsoever. But then they'll use that. They'll actually use that. And all of a sudden, it becomes ingrained into people. And so, and there's all different forms of this. So, this is what is what's happening in this, in this, uh, I guess, in this trial, and it's and it's just irritating. It's really irritating to see, uh, you know, logical theorems that I learned in college and that I, which I also employ in fictional storytelling, uh, to persuade an audience, you know, to keep watching the movie screen or to or to be glued to my fictional argument being employed again to convict a kid of murder when he's not actually guilty of anything. So they're, they're not only using modus ponens or modus tollens, they're using another form of what they call reductio ad absurdum. Or there's all, the, all, there's all these other different theorems which I don't really want to get into. But say, for example, this prosecutor used this type of, like, I'll, I'll just call it the butterfly theorem, right? So this entire theorem, the, I mean, I'm sorry, sorry, not theorem, this entire theory that the prosecution started to argue was that all of this, what happened, what happened, um, what, what happened, or this chain reaction of what, what happened uh, that resulted in the death of two people, two Antifa or maybe rioters, what, I don't just call them that, right? This happened because Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, I, um, Kyle Rittenhouse put out a dumpster fire. So if Kyle Rittenhouse would have not put out the dumpster fire, then none of this would happen. Therefore, because he put out the dumpster fire, he is therefore guilty of murder. It is premeditated murder because he went up there and he, he put out the fire, which he knew for, which they're saying he knew for a fact would enrage this crowd because he put out a dumpster fire. And, and then, you know, if he wouldn't have done that though, these people would have not got, gotten killed. Now that's a logical statement. But this, he is being tried for murder. He is being tried for murder and that instant, at that point. It has nothing to do with anything. Absolutely nothing. And the prosecutor is trying to push this narrative. I think that's rather crazy. Again, it's, it's completely insane. Now, I was watching Tucker uh, later on today. And on Tucker and also Greg Kelly, another, another great, you know, these are political commentators. They're, they're professional, uh, I guess commentators. They do this for a living on television. And they both, both brought up really good points, which I'll explain to you, you here now, uh, just in case you didn't actually catch their show. But in this case, the prosecutor at first tried to argue to Rittenhouse that Rittenhouse, he was just testifying on, um, I guess, I guess, uh, I guess during, during, during the, um, the, the court right now, he, he chose to testify right now, which is very, very strange, right? It's, it's very unorthodox to actually, uh, for defendant to defend himself, um, on, the, on the stand, right? We usually see the defendant just keep their mouth shut because they may say something wrong. So the defendants will usually, you know, shelter their defendant unless they are so sure that this, that this def- um, defendant will not convict themselves in any way. Now, I'm not sure if the, if Kyle Rittenhouse's lawyers are very good or if they have a lot of, um, 
or if they're really good and they have a lot of faith in this kid because they've listened to this um, kid uh, actually talk. And I tell you what, he did a really good job. He did not convict himself and he talked circles around this prosecutor. Now, what did this prosecutor say? He said he accused Kyle Rittenhouse of being guilty of murder because he did not speak before the trial, before his case went to trial. Because he kept his mouth shut and exercised his right, his right to be quiet, right? You have the right to remain silent. Remember, if anyone gets arrested, the first right that they have is a right to remain silent. That's basically 101, you know, criminal law. You have the right to remain silent. And that's what he did. He chose to have the right to remain silent and just chose to speak up during the trial. And all of a sudden, this lawyer is saying that, whoa, wait a minute, because you chose to your right to remain silent, you're guilty of murder. <laughs> what? It, it was so bad that this judge basically chewed out this prosecutor for a good five minutes. I mean, this judge... I'm surprised he wasn't red-faced because, you know, he's a white guy. Usually when white guys get mad, they get red-faced, but he wasn't getting, he wasn't getting red-faced at all. But he was so mad, wagging the finger, pointing the finger, you know. And then on top of that, he told the prosecutor, he told the prosecutor not to go down this certain road of questioning. Because if he did go down that, that, that certain road of questioning, it would buy it, it would, it would, um, I guess, I guess, uh, pollute the jury's decision. And what did this prosecutor do? He went down that road. He went down that road and the judge had to excuse everything. And then again, he had to, he had to actually, you know, um, uh, he, he wagged the finger again at this prosecutor. He chewed out the, pro he chewed out the prosecutor again. And this prosecutor made mistake after mistake after mistake, accusing Kyle Rittenhouse of using hollow, hollow point bullets. And then it's saying that these hollow point bullets explode into, into their target. They're explosive rounds. Well, anyone who's shot guns before knows for a fact that hollow point bullets do not explode. They're not explosive rounds. There are such things as explosive ammunition. Hollow point bullets are not one of them. And again, this lawyer, this prosecutor doesn't know a thing. So even Kyle Rittenhouse had to correct the prosecutor, and on top of that, the judge had to correct the prosecutor. So you have a prosecutor who isn't doing their homework, and again, trying, again, trying to frame Kyle Rittenhouse, even by taking away his first right, which is you have the right, Kyle has the right to remain silent. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, and I know that. I know that. I've watched enough cops to know that you know, when they when they put the cuffs on, they read the rights to the to the criminal, and they always say you have the right to remain silent. You do, you absolutely do. You don't have to go out there and speak, and that's why a lot of times when someone is arrested for something, they tell their client, "Hey, shut the hell up." Just shut the hell up because you may actually say something that may actually convict you later on. That's what they're saying. All right, so I wrote, a, I wrote a Facebook post that I actually want to talk about. And uh, on, on top of that, I want to talk about the media's coverage of this case, which is just so interesting.
Yeah, so I'm going to read this post, which I just wrote on Facebook for you. Because I know a lot of you out there, you're my Facebook followers. Some of you are not. Who knows? I don't know. I have no idea how you guys find my podcast, by the way. So anyway, I wrote here that the prosecutor who is trying Kyle Rittenhouse for murder should go to prison. And I'm very serious about that. So here I, here I go and say, it was storytelling time for the prosecutor looking to frame Rittenhouse for murder today. So in his world, Kyle Rittenhouse did not defend himself from any assault, but he was out to kill. Now, apparently, according to this prosecutor, when Rittenhouse was being chased by an angry pedophile who minutes before had threatened to kill him, the young 17-year-old should have surrendered his weapon to the registered sex offender. And when the sex offender cornered Rittenhouse and grabbed his AR-15, that is when the teenager should have given up. Because this man, who liked his children, and who was angry and pissed off, and threatened to kill Rittenhouse, was not actually a threat. This is all true, by the way. Okay, I'm not making any of this up. This is what the prosecutor's argument was. Okay, and things got a little strange when the prosecutor pushed Rittenhouse to admit that when Rittenhouse pointed his gun at the advancing pedophile. Now, the, the guy who got killed, he's a convicted pedophile, all right? So he actually just got out of he actually just got, got out of a mental facility and then went to, to Kenosha, Wisconsin to participate in this riot. And then when he saw Kyle Rittenhouse, he chased after him, all right? So anyway, I'm going to go back to what I wrote. So things got a little strange when the prosecutor showed Rittenhouse, uh, I mean, pushed Rittenhouse to admit that when Rittenhouse pointed his gun at the advancing pedophile, it was done so as an act to eventually kill or hurt him. So Rittenhouse never admitted to this. So that's how good he was on, on there, right? But the prosecutor continued to drill the young kid repeatedly, repeatedly until he got the answer he wanted. But then Rittenhouse still didn't take the bait. So soon after, the prosecutor then said, when an, when an angry Antifa medic, who, um, now hold on, this angry Antifa medic, the second guy who got shot, drew his weapon at point-blank range, and then pointed it at Rittenhouse, he did so with not the intent to kill him. So this is kind of strange now, right? So it's okay, it's not okay, I'm sorry, it's not okay when Rittenhouse points a gun in self-defense, but it's okay to point a gun at Rittenhouse at point-blank range. That's for the second victim. No, the third victim, I'm sorry. Because that's a sign of peace. You get what I'm saying here now? i got to back that up because I, I really improvised on what I was writing. So in the first case, when Kyle Rittenhouse was being chased by that angry pedophile, right? what happened was that he raised his gun at the guy and hoping that would intimidate that, intimidate that pedophile who was chasing him and he would back away. But it didn't do that at all. He just kept advancing on him. Now, when Rittenhouse, now Rittenhouse now, when he was running away again for the second time, Another person ran up to him, and that person, who was a victim of Rittenhouse, pointed his gun at Rittenhouse. Okay, so he actually had a gun. And the prosecutor is saying it's okay for that person to actually point a gun because he didn't mean any harm. But Rittenhouse, how dare he point his gun at the pedophile because that means harm. Does that make any sense? 
One rule for the criminals, one rule for the victim. All right? And that victim, by the way, the victim in all of this is actually Kyle Rittenhouse. He actually is a victim of the prosecutor. He's a victim of these three guys who, who tried to assault him. So this prosecutor who, who employed absurd logic continued. And he tried to paint the rioters as peaceful. That they, the criminals who showed up in Kenosha to burn down the city, had all the right to set a dumpster on fire, and that Rittenhouse turned them violent when he extinguished it. Why did you put out the fire? The prosecutor wagged his finger at Rittenhouse. Why wouldn't anyone put out a fire if they had an extinguisher with them? Correct? So there really is no case here. And the prosecutor knows it. He's perverting the truth, not to mention the law, in order to appease the woke mob. In other words, in other words, he is lying, 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 lying. So shouldn't the prosecutor be on trial? All right, so that's what I wrote. I kind of went off on what I wrote because, you know, a lot of times when you write, it doesn't come out the same way. Like, what, what do you read? What do you write? And you read it. It's two different. It's two different. It's two different things. You know, so, so it, it, I think that's just something that a lot of like, like you know, professional writers, when they transfer into the screenwriting world, they, have to, they, they realize that the written word, prose, is much different than, than, uh, than, what, than how you write for a novel or a newspaper. Because a lot of times what you write for a novel or a newspaper, it's not the same. And even if you write for dialogue, you can never interpret dialogue exactly as it, as it is written. Because, you know, when it's flowing off your tongue, it's different. It's just really, really different. Certain words don't go to well, go, don't go really well together. And certain people, some actors, you know, some actors have problems saying certain words. They do. So anyway, anyway, I'm getting, getting too much off the subject here. So that's what I wrote. All right. So I'm going to cut to commercial here. But when I get back, I want to get into this article that I found, found out. Cause I was, before I came onto this podcast, I was trying to find articles about these, um, about the so-called victims. We'll put victims in quote of, of Kyle Rittenhouse, right? They're not victims. Okay, Kyle Rittenhouse is the victim and all that here. But we're just going to call these other assaulters. I'm sorry. Let's not even give them the title of victims. These assaulters, right? These assaulters, um, the, these assaulters, these, these antagonists, right? We'll just call them the antagonists. Easier to rolls off the tongue better. These antagonists. Uh, to Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse, they're bad. They're bad dudes. They're bad characters, right? They're not. You would never want them invited to the, your barbecue, all right? And I'm gonna get more into this because I kind of teased you with what I just said, but we're gonna get straight into their background when I get back. Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's scriptwriter Steve with a shameless plug for my company, Dream Weddings Hawaii. So if you want to get married in Hawaii, if you want to get your vows renewed in Hawaii, and if you want some family pictures in Hawaii, make sure you check me out. So my website is dreamweddingshawaii.com. So that's dream, weddings with a S, Hawaii spelled out, dot com. Okay, are you back, everyone? I'm back. Well, I gotta be back, right? I have no, really no choice. <laughs> it's my podcast. I can't leave. 
If I just leave, there'll just be music playing. <laughs> That's not too fun. By the way, to the two listeners out there, you know, at one time, I had one listener in Iran that he must have told his friend. Then I got two. Now I have zero. I think he and his friend are gone. So to my two listeners in Iran, if you're in a better place right now, I'm really sorry about that. I'm really, really sorry. You know, I know I talk about freedom here, and uh, America's type of freedom is really hard to come by in Iran. But I don't know. I think we'll be joining you pretty soon because I think America is on that track. Yeah, we all have to wear face coverings. At least in Iran, only the women have to wear face coverings, right? <laughs> all right. Okay, so I am going to turn this music down here and get into it. So you kind of know the whole deal of like, uh, of um, I guess what's going on in the Kyle Rittenhouse or even my point of view. What's even more surprising though is what CNN and the rest of the media thinks of what's going on. Now, here's a really funny thing. <laughs> CNN, so I'm, I'm turning on all different networks, right? CNN, MSNBC, you, you know, you name the, you name it, ABC, NBC, everyone. They label Kyle Rittenhouse as some type of radical white supremacist, Trump supporter, uh, <laughs> some QAnon kid, you know, that, that Trump supporter just led down the wrong path and turned him to a white supremacist murderer. I'm not sure how they got to that point because Every victim here, I mean, I'm sorry, every antagonist, I'm going to call him antagonist, right? Every antagonist that ended up assaulting, uh, uh, I guess, Kyle Rittenhouse and, get, and getting killed or getting shot, they're all white. So why would a white supremacist kill or hurt other white people? How does that work? I mean, really? Let, let's just think, you know, that's not canon to white supremacy. I mean, I could understand if you just you know, just picked off the black people out there, right? Or just the Asians, right? Or people who didn't, didn't look like him, but he actually just shot people who attacked him. How does that make him a white supremacist? Is that because he, he carries an AR-15 or he was carrying an AR-15 and he believes in First Amendment rights and Second Amendment rights and the right to actually you know, bear arms so they can, you can defend yourself from violence? Is that the reason why he's a white supremacist? Because only white supremacists believe in those things? So anyway, here's the really funny thing. So I'm tuning into these, these other uh, networks. Not Fox, not OAN, and not Newsmax, but I'm tuning to the other ones, right? The, all the other ones that pull left. They view the antagonist as beautiful people, as, as a victim, and as victims. Now, I'm going to read to you what CNN wrote, okay? So what they're talking heads say differ quite a bit from what they, from what, um, from what their reporters actually say, who write on their website. So let's see here. Let's talk about Joseph Rosenbaum. So I'm going to read what they actually wrote, all right? And then I'll interject as I read. So what did they have to say about Joseph Rosenbaum? On the night of August 25th, 2020, Kenosha streets were filled with crowds protesting the police shooting of Jacob Blake, who was shot seven times in the back and side by a Kenosha police officer who said he was trying to detain him. 
Okay, so they're, they're telling the truth, but not the whole truth. Jacob Blake was, was in the process of trying to kidnap his kids from his ex-fiance. What happened was that when the police showed up to stop him from kidnapping his kids, who he was actually, who there was active TRO against Jacob Blake, because again, he had assaulted his ex-girlfriend and tried to kidnap his kids from, from before, well, he wrestled with the Kenosha police officers. And then after wrestling with the Kenosha police officers, he went over to the driver's side of his car and then reached at the floor mat. What was he reaching for? What do people usually put underneath the seat, the driver's seat of their car? Huh, I wonder, is it a brush? Is it a comb? Is it a pencil? They usually put a gun. And that's when this Kenosha police officer shot Jacob Blake in the back. All right? So that's it in full context. You notice these CNN reporters don't want to tell you the full story in context. Okay, back to the story. During the demonstrations, Rittenhouse clashed with a crowd gathered near a car dealership and Rosenbaum. So Rittenhouse clashed with the crowd? Not really. So Rosenbaum, who did not have a firearm, threw an object that appeared to be a plastic bag at him and missed, according to the criminal complaint filed last year. Rosenbaum and Rittenhouse moved across the parking lot and appeared to close to be close to each other when, a, when loud bangs were suddenly heard and Rosenbaum fell to the ground. Whoa, whoa, they're leaving out a lot of things. So what happened? Rittenhouse extinguished a dumpster fire that pissed off Rosenbaum, the antagonist. Now, of course, Rosenbaum didn't have a firearm, but he wanted to get one. So he threw something. Okay, that could be a plastic bag. Who would throw a plastic bag, by the way? Okay, maybe this guy was really mentally ill. And then Rosenbaum and Rittenhouse moved across the parking lot? No. Rittenhouse ran for his life, running away from Rosenbaum. Running for his life. And, Ritt and Rosenbaum, Rosenbaum, the pedophile, we're just calling him the pedophile, he actually, he actually closed on Rittenhouse. And then he grabbed the AR-15 barrel. And that's when Rittenhouse fired. That's it in full context. This is CNN reporting. They only want to tell you, uh, you know, part of the truth. You, you, you ever watch movies and they say this documentary is inspired by the truth? It's because they've rewritten the truth so many times that it's really not the truth anymore. I don't know why they do that anyway. But anyway, it happens. So, let's see here. I'm going to go down here. Rosenbaum battled bipolar. Uh, hold on, Rosenbaum battled bipolar disorder, and was homeless, according to the Washington Post, who reported that that Rosenbaum had been discharged from a hospital earlier in the day after a suicide attempt. He had spent more than a decade in prison in Arizona after being convicted for sexually, sexually, <laughs> or hold on. I'm sorry, sexually, um, oh, I'm sorry, sexual conduct with a minor. I'll read that again. He had spent more than a decade in prison in Arizona after being convicted of sexual conduct with a minor. So they didn't actually um, say what he did, but he actually had been convicted for sexual conduct with a minor and was in prison for 10 years. Then he went to a mental, this, uh, uh, I guess, uh, a mental hospital. And he got discharged, and then he ends up over in Kenosha. 
<laughs> oh boy. So apparently they're saying he was not part of the protesters nor the groups of armed men who were also there, the Post reported. He had briefly visited his fiance after being discharged to whom he, pro- he proposed to in the previous winter in the middle of a, bitty, of a busy sidewalk. It was just who he was, she told the Post. He made you laugh out of nowhere. Hmm. So he's a good guy. So Rosenbaum's fiancé told the Post, he wasn't down there as a rioter or a looter. Why was he there? I have no answer. I ask myself that question every day. All right. And that's it. That's all they wrote about. <laughs> so they try to paint this rosy, this rosy image about, <laughs> about uh, Joseph Rosenbaum. Okay, Anthony Huber, the second antagonist of this storyline. Huber, who was in a crowd of protesters with his girlfriend, was killed as Rittenhouse fled the scene of Rosenbaum shooting, according to the complaint. Huber had turned 26 just four days earlier, according to an obituary. Huber spotted the armed man in the crowded street and ran toward danger, his girlfriend said. He pushed me out of the way and ran off. And I tried to grab him. She referred to what Huber had done as a heroic thing. Videos from the scene show Rittenhouse carrying an AR-15 style rifle, walking the city streets with a group of armed men. Uh, and Giddings told CNN her boyfriend launched at the armed individual to protect her and the other people nearby. Okay, that's totally not true. So what happens? Huber, <laughs> Huber launched himself into Rittenhouse you know, with his skateboard and tried to hit him with the skateboard. So what did what did Rittenhouse do? Well, he pointed it at Huber and he killed him. What was Huber doing? He was attacking Rittenhouse. That's assault. That's assault. All right. <laughs> By the way, Huber was convicted of domestic violence against his girlfriend. So this person was convicted of domestic violence, and they're trying to make him as though he's this great heroic guy. All right, last guy, Gage. I think Gage, G-A-I-G-E, Grosskreutz. God, I don't know how to say it. Grosskreutz. I'm going to murder his name. So he's still alive. So Rittenhouse shot and injured Grosskreutz, who approached him shortly after Huber was shot. Grotzkertz ducked to the ground when Huber was shot and took a step back, according to the complaint. He put his hands in the air and then began to move toward Rittenhouse, who then fired one shot, hitting Grotzkertz in the arm, according to the complaint. Grotzkertz was holding a handgun, but he had his hands up, the complaint says. Oh, right. That's totally false because there's video of it. And Grotzkertz actually pointed his gun at Rosenhaus. And that's when Rosenhaus shot his bicep off. And by the way, Grosskurt's gun, he didn't have a permit for that. He didn't have a license for that. Why was his license taken away? Well, this guy, who they're labeling as a paramedic and a really great guy, just a paramedic who showed up just to help everyone off. Well, he got his permit taken away because he was arrested for armed robbery with a gun. Really good guy. Really good guy. So, again, CNN, they're trying to paint him as a victim and as a protagonist. He's not no protagonist. 
If I ever tell you I'm going to write a hero as a person who, I'm going to write a hero as a child predator. I'm going to write a hero as a person who beats up his girlfriend. I'm going to write a hero as a person who, who commits armed robbery. I'm sorry, that sounds more like an antagonist to me. Who's the victim here? Who's the person getting attacked by a pedophile? A person who is who got convicted of armed robbery? A person who had beat up his girlfriend? Who's getting, who's getting attacked here? What's the background of Kyle Rittenhouse? He's never shot anyone before, never gone to jail before. He was a Boy Scout or something like that. He was a lifeguard. <laughs> he was out there the day before in Kenosha cleaning up graffiti. He was a fan of cops. Oh, that's a bad thing, right? He's not a bad guy. And here we go with the prosecutors trying to paint him as a bad guy. They're trying to paint him as the antagonist. And these three people, these three, so these three quote unquote victims as protagonists. Uh uh. Not at all, people. Not at all. All right, everyone. It is 4.26 a.m. in the morning. I better go to bed. Hope you enjoyed this. I know it wasn't too long, but you know what? I need to go to bed. I just need to go to bed. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you soon, people. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I had fun podcasting. If you like what you hear, please share my podcast. If you can't find me, look on your favorite podcast platform and look for BBQ2 Movies. That's BBQ T-O Movies. Yeah, the T-O is not the number two, by the way. It is T-O, like Terrell Owens. So that's BBQ2 Movies. Catch you around.